At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of WrestleNomics Radio. I'm Brandon Thurston, broadcasting on demand and live from Buffalo, New York, where my dog is barking. And uh, it is November 14th, 2021. And uh, today on the program, we will be discussing AEW Full Gear, the pay-per-view that happened last night. I uh, have been trying to catch up on some of it. I've only seen a little bit of it because I was too busy wrestling, taking my last booking. And But we will talk about all we can up to this point, at least about the ticket sales, what's happened in Minneapolis, Minnesota, where Rampage and Full Gear took place on Friday and Saturday. And we will go in-depth today, now a week removed from the WWE Q3 earnings report. I have updated guidance. Today's podcast is is not and should not be construed as investment advice. I am not a certified stock analyst, but we will go in depth with perhaps more accurate WWE stock analysis than you can find anywhere in the world, including from people who do have Harvard MBAs. Uh, No Harvard MBA here, just accurate analysis. In any event, we will talk about that. And then I gave Chris Gullo a homework assignment this week, and he did his homework. More on that later and about the owners of major sports franchises. Did AEW's relationship mean anything to Impact's viewership? We will take a look at it today, and we will discuss as well uh, the count of wrestlers that uh, various major wrestling promotions have been using over the last few years, see what the trends are, the differences over time, uh, after WWE has just released all this talent recently. Uh, And then we will talk a little bit about the Fast Nationals and New Japan. Bushi Road put out a financial report recently. We will decipher that to whatever extent we can. But first, joining me from my immediate south, from South Buffalo, he's a ring announcer. He's an entertainer. He's a stand-up comedian. Chris Gullo is joining us, hopefully with better audio this week. Our audio producer has been fired. Uh, he has been replaced. And hopefully Chris Gullo sounds fantastic this week. It's uh, good to be here. Uh, it's a uh, snowy weekend. 
in Buffalo, New York. It snowed so yesterday. Haven't had to deal with snow yet. You're lucky. Yes, it snowed yesterday here in Buffalo. Uh, a little bit of accumulation. I, did, I think it's. I think it's mostly melted though now, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, uh, are you a are you are, are you a Nielsen home, Chris Gallo? I heard you might be a well, Nielsen home. Yeah, I actually uh, this past Saturday, uh, yesterday, I went to go check my mail, and I actually have it right here for all our viewers. A Nielsen survey. A Nielsen survey. Did it come with a yes. crisp Abraham Lincoln five dollar bill? It did not. I have to send this to them, and then they will give me the five dollar bill. They they don't trust you. They sent it to me ahead of time on the one that I received. Yeah, recently. no, they do not trust me. Yeah. You've got you've got to earn your credibility with Nielsen. You know, Nielsen is such a credible organization that, you know, they only they only trust, you know, people who they know spend hours and hours every day inside spreadsheets analyzing their data. I guess that must be it. Um, what what is it asking you? Well, so it's your pretty standard questions. What type of TV shows do you watch? Uh, in a typical day, how many hours of TV do you watch? What's your favorite TV show or channel? Mm-hmm. In a typical day, how many hours of radio do you listen to? What type of radio programming do you listen to most often? And what is your favorite radio station or program? Mm-hmm. Then uh, more, uh, they have like kind of demographic questions here. Do you have access to the internet? Do you have access to a cell phone? Do you have a landline? Uh, when at home, how frequent do you use your landline? Uh, do you do any, uh, does anyone in your household work for a radio, TV, or t- cable company? Um, is anyone in your household Spanish, Hispanic, or Latino origin? What language do you speak? Is anyone in your household? And it lists a bunch of ethnicities. And then it says, including yourself, how many people living in your home? And lastly, it, it has you, including yourself, the total number of people living in your home based on, and they break it into age brackets. So, Okay. Wonderful. They they did not offer to put a Nielsen listening device in your home though, so they could they could track your viewership. They they did not, and I um I used to n- never get these because I used to actually work in in like radio radio, uh-huh. and, uh huh, and used to never get those because even if I did, I'd be like, oh well, I work in radio, and I think they don't use your data. you're you're <laughs> disqualified. Yes, yes. Um, so let's see here, what should we talk about, Chris Gullo? Well, let's get going here, and we'll start with AEW uh, Full Gear. That was yesterday, and uh, we're going to talk ticket sales as well as pay-per-view buys. Uh, we'll start off with ticket sales here because I know we got a lot of uh, pay-per-view buy data as far as past pay-per-views. We'll start with ticket sales. Um, AEW Full Gear. Now, this was from WrestleTix as of yesterday morning around at 7.40 on Twitter. Uh, the tickets distributed were 10,355. Available tickets, 2,130. Um, with an estimated capacity of 12485 and they did add 135 seats in the hard cam section at price of about $90 a seat, and only eight of those remained when they added them. So, um, yeah. so looking pretty good. Uh, before you kind of get into your spiel about this, Brandon, um, I now this is from WrestlingData.com, so I'm not sure how accurate it is, but if this is true, 10355 or they have here 10500 it would be the highest attended show at the Target Center since 2014 Elimination Chamber. And that includes SmackDown. For a wrestling show. Yes, for a wrestling show, yes. But that also includes SmackDowns, but that also includes UFC on ESPN. Really? Which uh, was Dos Santos versus Naganu, uh, which did 10,123, according to this chart on WrestlingData.com. So they apparently account UFC on there. So, But yeah, so... uh, 
it would be it, it would be higher than the SmackDown that was just there in July, and then higher than the Raw in 2017 that did uh, 10,000. I'm sorry, 2015 that did 10,000. Yeah. So th- this, I think you said this number for tickets distributed, full gear, 10,355. Right. That is as of yesterday morning. That is as of Saturday morning, according to WrestleTix. Um, could be somewhat higher. Um, probably is at least a little bit higher. But let's. What would you say is the average ticket price for an event like Full Gear for an AW pay per view? Average ticket price. Do you, Do you remember what WWE reported as its average ticket price? Oh, was it fifty something? I don't know what's on my head. It's no, usually yeah, in the mind. high fifties, maybe even the sixties. But uh, I'll I'll look at my spreadsheet, which we're going to reference later. Uh, oh, wasn't it on like seventy one dollars or something? It was astronomically high uh, relative to what it usually is. Average ticket price North America was seventy five dollars for WWE. Okay. WWE, uh, whereas it's usually in non WrestleMania quarters fifty or sixty dollars. I would estimate if i were just guessing for aw i would say maybe somewhere in that fifth early oh low 50s range probably i just realized we didn't have our slides on the screen now we do what did you say low 50s i would say low 50s something like that maybe 55 it's a pay-per-view maybe 60 i mean this the pay-per-view is going to be the event that's priced the highest for aw relative to their other TV tapings, which is all they really do. They don't do house shows for the most part. I know they've done like a house show or two in conjunction with the TV taping. Um, so let's say, let's say 55, 55 average tickets sold. Multiply that by let's, let's say 10,500. Let's, let's, let's go with tickets that are actually sold. So let's go 10,500 and let's say it appeared that the discrepancy with, with WB between tickets distributed by WrestleTix and tickets reported as sold by WWE was about 96%. So let's say it's 96%, about 4% comps then. So bang, what we're left with is 10,080. If we multiply that by a $55 average ticket price, we get a gate of a little over half a million. Um, Did we know if they did any combo packages? I don't know. Combo, oh, you mean with Rampage? Rampage and yeah, Rampage and Full Gear. I did not see that in 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 the WrestleTix reports, but I may not have been combing through. Um, I don't think they did though, but they usually do when they do a dynamite, and uh, they have often done that. Like in Pittsburgh, they definitely did that when there was Pittsburgh yes. for the first rampage and the dynamite that was uh, in the same week. Um, so maybe a little over half a million. I've got five five hundred and fifty four thousand four hundred dollars in that calculation there. Um, venue merch, I don't know. What do you think? What do you think venue merch per head was? Mm. Yeah, again, we're we're assuming we're going to base this off of ticket sales. So we've got about 10,000 paying attendees. And each of them, on average, are buying how much revenue in merchandise? Do you know what, what WWE's usual, usual uh, range is? I should remember these from last week because we just went over this. Uh... Let's reference it in the big spreadsheet. So uh, domestic venue merch per capita this past quarter was... A really high fourteen dollars and twenty cents. Okay, pre, yes. Pre-pandemic, though, it was anywhere between nine dollars, nine dollars twelve cents, and ten dollars forty-two cents, ten and a half, something like that. So, 
AEW. I would say seven pay per view. Seven, I think that's way too low, especially for a pay per view. Okay. Um, I think pay per views tend to skew a little bit higher on vending merch per cap. Um, I would, hmm, you know, does I doubt it's fourteen for a dynamite. I don't know. I would guess like eleven, maybe for a pay per view. Maybe it's like twelve. So let's say twelve per head, per head. That that gives us an extra. $120,000 to put on top of 550-ish. I just multiplied it. Uh, 120 times 550, or Jesus, plus 120 plus 550. We, we get to like $670,000. That's where we're at there. Um, does that? How does that compare, though, to what AEW probably makes on pay-per-view? Yeah. Um, I mean, What's your impression? Well, maybe the $10 range would probably be fair. I, th- I think 12 is 12. A, a good guess, yeah. I know they probably don't have as much variety in merchandise as WWE does. I mean, obviously T-shirts, a lot of T-shirts. I think when I was at Dynamite, I saw T-shirts and I saw action figures. I'd imagine they're selling other things too, probably like Darby Allen masks or something yeah, well, like that. Well, but. I mean, and, and I've been told by somebody, I believe, that it's for pay-per-views, it skews higher, and it's it's somewhere that's comparable to uh, WWE in terms of merchandise per head, um, pay-per-view. Uh, I haven't heard anything about what this pay-per-view did for pay-per-view sales. Um, John Pollock of post wrestling, which this podcast is a part of, uh, in terms of the podcast network, he did a poll, um, asking people what they thought this pay-per-view would do in terms of pay-per-view buys. And if we put the, uh, the chart on the screen here for uh, for people watching on the YouTube. As people know, the pay-per-view uh, in September, All Out, did over 200,000 pay-per-view buys. Um, I'm putting it at somewhere around 205. And uh, let's see here. Pollock uh, put out four options. 100 to 150 was the winner. Um, and that... Uh, I, I guessed 150 to 200. Um, I would guess, I don't know, 150 here, maybe, maybe under 150, just under. What do you think? Oh, I, I just, for some reason, just part of me doesn't see it obviously doing what all out did. So I, I would probably hundred, I think 150, maybe 160 on the high. So 150, let's, let's go with that. 150,000 worldwide buys. Yes, this is we're, we're we're thinking both traditional and digital here. Um, we almost need a spreadsheet to, to break down the complexity of this. But let's say the average retail price, because it's, it's obviously it's fifty dollars in the U.S., but it's different prices around the world. Let's say the average price averages out to forty dollars. So now we've got before the split about six million dollars. Um, highlighting again how wrestling is now a media business and not just a live event business. Cause we, even if we, even when we piled in merch, we got just over, I think $600,000 in ticket sales plus merch. Right. But now we've got 10 times that in pay-per-view sales before the split. Uh, let's say the average split is 40% uh, across, you know, weighted across whatever deals we got. And we get, we get about two and a half million dollars in revenue for AEW. So two and a half plus, you know, something like 650,000 in, I keep wanting to multiply everything. 
So 2.4 million is roughly what I get. Let's say 650,000 between tickets and merch. And what do we get there? That is plus six, five, boom. And we get about 3 million gross. This is just our back of the envelope math, if you will. Uh, about $3 million gross on an event like this. Um, I would say this is fairly typical of what, this is probably more of a typical pay-per-view. The, the pay-per-view before with CM Punk's first match is going to be a high point, right? And it's going to be low from there unless some other phenomenon happens. Unless there's some other momentum happening here. Um, and if we just multiply that out by like, and if we just, let's, let's, let's say two and a half million dollars is the average re pay-per-view revenue. What I, what I want to think about here is like, multiply that by four. Okay. You're, you're making about $10 million on pay-per-view. So that's the sort of benchmark that if, if AEW were to ever sell it's, it's streaming rights or the streaming rights to its pay-per-view or the exclusive, uh, you know, carriage of its pay-per-view on a worldwide basis. Obviously Peacock is not a worldwide thing. It's just, just for the U S but, and so let's say it was only the U S and so let's assume that that's accounting for about 70% of the sales, which, which is normal. So we're getting to $7 million. So if, if let's say, Somebody wanted to make a deal, or if you're, you know, a lot of fans are talking about, well, well, couldn't, couldn't AEW make a deal like W's made with Peacock to, to have their pay-per-views, uh, to ha have an exclusive pay-per-view home, uh, or an exclusive streaming home as part of a monthly package instead of a $50 package, um, what that distributor would have to pay AEW would, would be not just $7 million, probably a a multiple of $7 million, maybe at least twice as much. I can't see them even taking it for like 14. You want to pay like 20 or I don't know. I'm not sure what all the dynamics are for them, but uh, a lot more than say $10 million average annual value. I think remember WWE is getting how much, how much is WWE getting average annual value over this five-year deal for, for Peacock. And remember that's including uh, library and stuff too, but still, do you remember? Yeah, what the, you know, the it's like two hundred two hundred million dollars. Two hundred million, yeah. Two hundred million dollars average annual value. So just some thoughts there. We'll probably learn in the days or the week or two to come what this pay-per-view did. Um I my sense is that we are that this pay-per-view is not gonna do, obviously, it's not gonna do what the punk pay-per-view did. And you may have bad analysis happening that says well oh it's down from the pa the punk thing just like people have said oh it's it, the rampage number is down from what from punk's debut but um i think the arrival of punk and brian and maybe whatever other momentum has been happening for the company is going to put i expect is going to put these pay-per-view buys especially when we're talking about something that is more for the highly engaged fan that this is we're, we're going to sort of enter a a new a new level for pay-per-views, a new normal for pay-per-views. That's maybe more along the lines of what Revolution 2021 did, which was about 135, somewhere in that range. Um, what would be disappointing? Under 135, I, th I think. Uh, somewhere between 135 and 160, I would say, is like a normal range. Exceeding 160, I would be really impressed. So there's that. Yeah. Just the general buzz, too, like... Or is just talking to people I know that are like kind of casual wrestling fans and all that. They were very excited for All Out, and I don't think many of them ordered, uh, you know, full gear. Obviously, that's not a scientific analysis, but just the general buzz of the pay per view didn't seem like it had it was yeah. as talked about as as All Out was. I was invited to two watch parties, two social situations for the 
all-out pay-per-view with Punk's first match, I was invited to zero social situations. Does that say something more about me or about AEW? I'm not sure. But, <laughs> no. There certainly seems to be less buzz about this. It was CM Punk's first match in seven years. That's a really big deal. And I think people knew the surprises were coming. You heard the rumors of Danielson and, and Cole. And yes, we were still surprised by him, but people were kind of expecting something like that to happen. I mean, I, I don't think I don't think I strongly expected Brian and maybe Brian, well, but I, I didn't really. Danielson was talked about. Yeah. And people were thinking that it might be the that might be the date. Cole was was a surprise. Yeah. Did you watch the pay-per-view? I, ha- I have not. I've seen highlights from it. Yeah, I, I did not watch it. I've seen highlights from it. Um, Jay Lethal was there now. So yes. it was sparked some interest here. That was and very interesting. And I, I heard that no, no media asked him or Tony Khan about, uh, there, there've been a number of allegations of misconduct against Jay Lethal, including one that's publicly disclosed in the Kelly Klein, uh, lawsuit. Um, and, and I guess there were, there were no questions about this to anybody in the media scrums that happened right after the show. So notable, um, anything else to add? About AEW uh, before we move on? Uh, no, I mean, uh, I, you know, I think we'll do as good as, as all I know, but I, it, it probably will be their second. We would hope their second You think it'll be the second highest for, for yeah. pay-per-view sales. Yeah. So. And, and by the way, like, I believe these num- these are the numbers that I believe that are on the screen right now. 205 for All Out, 115 for Double or Nothing, 135 for Revolution. That's in thousands. Um AEW is not a publicly traded company. AEW has no obligation or no, I almost want to say incentive. They, maybe they do have an incentive to to uh, publicize these numbers in some way. I, I, I don't know that any media asked. Uh, I, I, I feel like, and, and I'm, I, was, I was really impressed like how much media there was uh, in Minneapolis and uh, participating in the, in the post-media scrum. I don't know if anybody asked Tony Khan about like, did you could you give us an impression of what the pay-per-view buys are at this point or anything like that? But uh I don't know if anybody did ask that, and I, I have a feeling that that didn't get asked. And I bet he has an idea as he's standing there in the, in the media scrum uh, what early indications tell us about what the pay-per-view uh, sales are. Uh, and I, I hope that's something that he's asked about in the future after pay-per-views and media scrums. Because it's certainly something that Dana White talks about after pay-per-views, or at least he used to or, or has at times. I know it's a, maybe it's a different world with uh, being on ESPN+, Plus, but uh, they definitely know. And media should be asking. Uh, they should be asking about how they're, how they're vetting talent, too, before they sign them. Anyway, moving on. All right. We're, we're moving on here. Uh, we're going to talk a little WWE stock and WWE financials. And uh, we'll start off here. Now, these are stock analysts. And yeah. what they believe the price target for WWE would have been in the stock and then what to do on them. So, for example, uh, Stephen, I believe, Stephen Cahal or is it Cahill? You know, Cahal, Cahal. Stephen Cahal. Uh, so the price target for, for WWE was $45 and to sell that was as of November 8th. Uh, Lauren Martin from Needham, uh, mm-hmm. he said $65 and buy on November 5th. Mm-hmm. And David Joyce from Barclays had the price target at $55 and to hold on November 5th. Yes. Laura Martin, longtime W stock analyst. Um, yeah, so I, I didn't know that uh, Stephen Call from Wells Fargo was a sell. He so he's saying the uh, the a price target. My understanding of a price target is this is a stock analyst saying, in twelve months this is what the the stock price is going to be. Twelve months from now, it, 
Stephen Cajal thinks it's going to be $45. What's the stock price right now? It's in the high 50s, right? You want to look that up real quick, what the stock price was at the close of the market on Friday, Gullo? Laura Martin from Needham says stock price 12 months from now is going to be $65. 65 It's going to be way up from what it is right now. David Joyce from Barclays says $55. So about what it is right now. That's why he rates it yep. a hold. Um, 55 91 all right. So, and if we look at this is this is a report that I can generate through my E-Trade account from Thomson Reuters. This is their Refinitiv report and they they have 14 analysts that they're referencing here. 3 of them have it at a strong buy, so they're way high on the stock price. 3 are at a at a buy, 7 are at a hold, and 1 is at a sell. Nobody's at a strong sell. Uh, I don't know how they define strong from from not strong, but so most people, most stock analysts, about what about half of them, I, I guess, about half the stock analysts feel that this stock is appropriately priced. Um, six of them feel that it's worth more than what's priced at right now, and one of them, Stephen Cahill, Stephen Cahill. I always want to call him Cahill. There's somebody famous named Cahill or something, right? Anyway. I, I think so. Yeah. And and only one of them, the stock analyst from Wells Fargo, says it's overvalued. Um, so, uh, let's, so that's, that's, that's that. So I sat down this week, including yesterday in the car on the car ride to Erie, Pennsylvania, and did my analysis of the outlook for WB's financial picture. And this is what I came up with. So we'll talk today. The point of this is to say, here's the EPS that I expect based on my math, which has sometimes been more accurate than any stock analyst. Sometimes not. Sometimes been off, though. Um, so I, I sat down and, and did not just the next quarter, which is what I've only done, I think, up to this point. I mean, I've done a few quarters in advance. But I did not just the next quarter, but I did uh, each quarter of 2022. And then I did uh, some loose annual estimates for the entire years of 2023, 2024, and 2025. So what we're going to do here is look at what what I think the profitability of this company is and compare to what other stock analysts think the profitability of this company is. We're going to refer to EPS, which is which means earnings per share. Just think of it as if you don't know what earnings per share is, just think of it as a measure of profitability. It's it's simply taking that income and dividing it against diluted shares. I I couldn't tell you what diluted shares means, but it's something like it's something like that. It's, um, yeah, I don't know what diluted shares means. Um, but that's how you determine the EPS. Uh, so if we look at what does, let's just take the next quarter, the next quarter, which is this quarter, Q4, the next quarterly report will be in February. And the analysts are expecting an EPS of 53 cents per share. Uh, and I'm expecting, Oh, I actually have it right on here, right? I'm expecting 68 cents. The highest analyst is expecting 60 cents, the lowest 43 cents. Uh, that's out of 10 analysts that have actually made estimates about what they think Q4 is going to be at this point, according to Thomson Reuters. So I'm way higher again. Um, I, I did sit down. Unfortunately, I don't, I don't have a Bloomberg terminal, so I don't see every uh, report. I, I've seen like a couple of them, and I usually see them much, much after uh, they're published. I don't know if published is the right word, but much after they're released. Um, so again, stock analysts are way off, in my opinion, about how profitable 
WWE is going to be. So 68 cents earnings per share. What does that really mean in terms of profitability, in terms of actual dollars? Uh, that means, according to me, $58 million in net income in Q4. Uh, so that would be a total year. For a total year, that would mean a net income of $174.5 million in net income. That would break their record over the prior year of 132 by a pretty wide margin. In terms of revenue, uh, I have it at $1.1 billion. That would be a new record for WWE adjusted for inflation. Uh, both profit and revenue, that would be the most lucrative year ever for WWE. Um, does everybody agree with me about this? Um, let's look at revenue. Yeah. The mean, the high, and the low is $1.1 billion. That's also where I am. I didn't look at any of this stuff before I wrote this because it always messes with me. Um, for 2022, uh, the mean is 1.3 billion. The high is 1.3 billion. The low is 1.2 billion. Where am I on this? Uh, to 2022, I'm at about 1.258 billion. So if you round, I'm at 1.3 billion. So I am on the high end, but also in line with with the average. Uh, it's only broken out to one decimal place to the nearest hundred million. Um, but if we look at EPS, so profitability. Uh, for the whole year of 2021, the average is 1.92. So $1.92 EPS, I'm at two and a half, right in line with the highest analyst. I don't think I'm included in this. I don't think I'm the high analyst. I don't think they're they're referencing uh, WrestleNomics in, in this report. Maybe they <laughs> should, though. I don't know if they're allowed to. But uh, So I, I'm right in line with whoever the, the high analyst is out of seven. For the, for the profitability of WB for 2021. In 2022, I've got an EPS of $2.24, which is pretty close, a little bit lower actually than the mean analyst, of which has got uh, the EPS at $2.34. So what does this mean? Do I think the W stock price is appropriately valued, overvalued, or undervalued? Um, I did some thinking about this and tried to apply some math to this, and we're going to have to go to the actual spreadsheet to get an idea of what my answer is to this. Uh, and if we unhide some rows here. So WB's market capital is what, Chris Gull? What's up? Huh? Um, yes. WB's market capital, you're talking about the stock price? What does a market capital mean? <laughs> you're always quizzing me here. I'm yes. trying to get ready for the next yes. slide. You heard uh, so market capital is the uh, dollar market value of companies outstanding shares of stock. Did you just Google stock, that? Sorry. Uh, Maybe. <laughs> so what does that mean in, in plain English? That would be basically the market value of what stock is available, if I got that correct. it's. I think in plain English, you would say this is the value of the company. Okay. It's sort of theoretical. Let, if, if WB was shopping, they're not shopping the company. Vince McMahon is not going to sell WB. But if he was, um, the market cap is kind of where you would start. And depending on what sort of the economic factors are involved with, why, why do you want to sell the company? What's going on here? Uh, that would determine how much the, the company would actually be sold for. I, I, I would say typically um, WB, if WB was going to sell the company, they would they would be selling it for a lot more than $4.5 billion. In fact, if Vince McMahon, today's Vince McMahon, were selling the company, he's only going to sell it if they're going to give him like 10x 
four billion. If they're going to give him like forty billion, that's the only way Vince McMahon is selling his company. If Vince McMahon decided he wanted to go retire to his yacht and was going to sell the company, maybe they could sell it for eight billion. Um, but yes, the 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 market capital is simply the share price times all the shares. Four point two three billion is the exact. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, MJ from NJ tells us in the chat that Stephen Cajal from Wells Fargo is also a hold on Sinclair. Uh, he's long on ROH, short on WWE. Um, so I hope my audio sounds okay. I know I was clipping for a minute there. I put a little bit of a limiter on here, so hopefully this is not too bad now. Um, so the share price is basically a, a reflection, in, in my view, I, I think the, the the share price is just like this is it, it's to to me, and I'm sure somebody much smarter with stocks can explain this in greater detail. Share price to me doesn't mean anything. The market capital is what means something. The share price is just like this is the minimum entry. This is the minimum cost to invest in our company. Um, there are s- some big companies that have really high share prices. Like I think I don't know if Google, and then they can always do a split and just say, all right. Our, our share price was $1,000 per share, uh, but we want to make it easier for people to invest, I think. And then we do what's called a split. And, and okay, we split our, all of our shares in half. You had one share before, now you have two shares. They're worth $500 a piece now instead of one being worth $1,000. Uh, and there can be splits not just in half, but in quarters or, or whatever they want, right, I think. Um, so when we're looking at, so when somebody tries to look at the share price and, and, and out of context drive some value for that, I think that's, that doesn't make any sense. It's not, not helpful insight, but anyway, why is W's market cap $4.5 billion? Uh, sometimes you can base it on a multiple of their annual revenue or a multiple of their EBITDA. What's EBITDA? EBITDA is, I always got to look it up. So, so what does it stand for? Is <laughs> EBITDA okay. with an E? Uh, e B I before. Oh, EBITDA. Oh, see, usually you ask me what EBITDA is. EBITDA. I don't know if there's, you ever asked me this before. There's a EBITDA, but it's earnings before interest, okay. tax, depreciation, and um, and amortization. I used to do it last one. Amortization. Amortization. All right. Um, these are, yes. So there's, there's EBITDA, there's OEBDA, there's net income. OEBDA, that's, that's what I was thinking. Income. These are just measures of profit and they're just measures of profit at various points of, of our, of our journey towards net income, which is the final, um, measure of profit. I think an easy way to think about this is think about your paycheck. You look at your paycheck you have a gross pay, and as you know, that is not what you take home. Your net pay is what you take home. Net income is like your net pay. And these other earlier forms of profit are like your gross pay. OEBDA, EBITDA. It would be like, I guess, you know, you could, th- you could think of one, one of these as like before they take out your, your, your payments towards benefits at, at, at various points before all your deductions come out, right? But anyway, um, long story short... W has roughly been valued at about 14 times its annual EBITDA. So what I've done here is I've tried to say, all right, let's look at WWE's uh, 12 months of EBITDA and what would that tell us 
the market cap of this company is based on this 14x formula. And what what was it actually priced at at the time? So that's kind of, I don't know if people can see this, this will be fairly small. Maybe I can make it a lot bigger if, if people are watching on YouTube. Um, so that's, we need, we need a different uh, view here. So let's, let's look at this this way. So the market cap on the last day of the quarter versus the forward EBITDA times 14. Basically, this is my formulation of asking the question, was WB appropriately priced or was it not? Was it overpriced? Was it underpriced? And my answer to this, based on my you know primitive knowledge of of the of the the stock market and, and WB's stock, is that there's a lot of volatility. There's a lot of difference, both under and over, uh, in terms of how WB was valued in in 2018, 2019, and 2020. So basically, what 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 I conclude from this is that. Um, WB in 2018, when the stock price was exploding around the time that they made their current USTV deal, it was way overvalued when, when the share price was getting into the $70 per share, $90 per share, which meant that the market cap, uh, of the company, uh, was, it was $5 billion, $7 billion, seven and a half billion dollars, uh, on the last day of Q3 2018. Again. Seven seven and a half billion dollars. What what's the market cap today? Uh four point two three billion. So wait a lot less, right? This company was was valued like one and a half times higher for a minute than it is today. <laughs> uh so it was way overvalued by the stock market, and consequently the, the stock price went way down. Uh and and uh and then I think in twenty twenty it was undervalued. Again, based on this math, it was undervalued. It was being valued uh, at, at $2.5 billion, $3.4 billion in the, in, the, in the early days of the pandemic, $3 billion in the early days of the pandemic, um, to now where it's being valued at about $4 billion. And that is reflective of my estimates of the forward-looking 12 months of EBITDA. Long story short, if, if all the words that we just said in the last 10 minutes or so made no sense to you at all, I totally understand. Long story short, best I can tell, WB is now pretty fairly priced. This is an appropriate price for WB. Uh, 50, $58 per share, something like that, right? Which comes out to something like $4.5 billion in market capital. Um, MJ from NJ in the chat is yelling at me about the dividend yield. I have no idea. WB has a dividend. Um which is 12 cents per share. So if you if you own one share of WB every quarter, they pay you 12 cents. If you own 100 shares every quarter, they pay you $1.12. Is that how that math works? 12 cents times 100, they pay you $12, excuse me. I've got I've got I'm, I'm off by an order of magnitude here. Yeah. So if if you or owned 100 shares in WWE, which would cost you like 500 some odd dollars, about $580 to buy today, every three months, they would be paying you $12. So there's a dividend value to this company as well. Um, Just to have a similar comparison, um, and I don't know how similar you could really compare them, but UFC is 7.2 billion market capital. So, and they're probably UFC, the UFC or, in, or, in, or Endeavor. What's Endeavor valued yeah. at? Let's see here. Because UFC was acquired for, I think, roughly roughly that, uh, several billion dollars. 
uh, 12.4 billion for Endeavor. Yeah. What, what, what was, um, what was UFC acquired for? How much money? They sold their, the Furtada sold their stake for 4 billion. Uh, yeah, the four billion. Because WME bought it in yeah two thousand seventeen or something, right? Yes. For how much is was that the whole was the Fertitta? Yeah, the Fertitta. Let's see here. Yeah, because they originally bought it for two million, <laughs> and they got it for four billion, and they sold it for four billion. Um, yeah, it's, yeah. Let's see here. Yeah, I can't find the exact four Plenty. billion sales price. Yeah, I mean they're saying they're ranging around four billion. So. Well, anyway, conclusion in plain English, WB is now fairly priced. WB was way overpriced in, in its huge run-up, which which is, is sort of like by definition, yeah. I mean, the, the stock market reacted uh, appropriately. If, if if I pull up here, WNSYE, NYSE, uh, and we look at the last five years, we can see if people are, are looking at YouTube, you can see the trajectory of, of this stock. We even go out to the max here. You can see this massive run-up in 2018, even into 19, uh, where it had these two big peaks uh, around the time that the U.S. rights negotiations were happening, around the time that I think the international rights speculation was happening, and then it just totally, you know, crashed back to reality here into the 40 range, a third into the high 30s, and now the, the mid-50s where it is today. Um, and I think that's based on 14 times what I think their EBITDA is going to be for the next 12 months. That's fair. That's very fair. Five and a half. Is it about uh, four and a quarter? I was going to say four and a half, but four and a quarter billion dollars. Um, Vince McMahon owns about a third of that. So Vince, if he sold all of his shares, theoretically, he's he's got something like 32%. So Vince's net worth in W stock alone is over a billion dollars. So there's that. Moving on. Moving on. And uh, so we've been talking the last couple of weeks, you know, with all this talent out there and how TV deals are. And could there be a third billionaire that would want to start a professional wrestling company, sports mm-hmm. entertainment company? Marvel-like uh, entity, excuse you, shit yes. yourself. Marvel. <laughs> and you gave me a homework assignment. Yes. To basically find out who the owners were of of three of the major sports leagues in uh, the United States, which is the NBA Major League Baseball in the NFL, yeah. and where their money was from. You're going to be able to apply for a job at Wells Fargo by the end of this podcast. <laughs> hey, you know, I, I heard they pay good money. I'm okay with that. Um, but so we, so I, I did my research on here, and I don't know how you want me to present this, Brandon. It, it, kind of the ones that kind of caught my eye of people that might probably have a lot of value, might be interested in something like this. I'm, I'm going to put your now, sheet on the screen. So uh, if, if people are watching on YouTube, they can see it. But I uh, did you describe already what I made you do? Yes. Yeah. So, yeah. So once again, it, who are the owners of the sports franchises are and what's their business background? What other things do they own? At least notable and all that. Um, I didn't list every private equity firm. I just wrote private equity or mutual funds or whatever their money was from. Uh, if they had like a known company and all that, I'd put the name in there. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of these things, I had no idea what they what experience management is, <laughs> but apparently it made this guy billions of dollars. Mm-hmm. So we we were heavily reliant uh, on uh, Wikipedia for this, right? Yes, yeah. Yes. Um, but I'll put the two highlights on here. We already have two owners of sports franchises that own or are co-owners 
of wrestling organizations. Uh, Chad Khan is technically a co-owner of AEW. He's he and... is definitely an owner. He's the owner. Yeah. I I mean I saw, and... um let's talk for a second. AEW who owns yeah. AEW? Who owns AEW? So I I, I will see Chad and Tony Khan was just co-owners if you Google it. The Khan family owns the vast majority of this yes. company, if not all of it. I would not be surprised if Warner Media owns a stake, a minority stake. But that's yeah. that's and by the way, my, too, merely my speculation. These were, yeah, these were based on majority stakes. There's a lot of my there's some of these sports organizations have minority stake owners too, but they're minuscule mm-hmm. compared to what the majority has. So who's the other wrestling owner? Jeannie Buss. Wow. Women of wrestling. Okay. What 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 team is that? The LA Lakers. So she inherited it from Jerry Buss, and he was a real estate mogul, and it's, it's been an owner of the Lakers for years. Okay, Doctor Jerry Buss, I believe. Okay, I don't know what it was. Doctor it was in. Um, she's the main person who owns. She's the majority owner of Wow. Yeah. So when you, I mean, and now mind you, this is just based on Wikipedia, but it's she is listed as the principal owner of the LA Lakers, the principal and, and owner as well as Wow. Let's see here. Um, yeah, yeah, and co-owner. So she's co-owner of the women's wrestling. Who does she co-own it with? Own that with here. Owner Tessa Blanchard. Does Tessa Blanchard own a stake? <laughs> I, I don't think so. I, I want to say Viacom does. Viacom is distributing it through yeah. uh, their syndication, right? D- David McClain. Who's, who's okay? Tell me about David McClain. David McClain is the uh, guy that created Glow. As well as other women's wrestling offshoots. Really? Yeah, David McLean has been involved with women's wrestling since the 80s. He actually got a start for Dick the Bruiser's territory. People don't even know that. Like, David McLean has been around forever. Well, he, 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 he did the Zellner. People don't, people don't remember. People don't know. <laughs> people always forget. That's right. We love Between the Sheets. Um, yes. Well... So, but yeah, you you can go what you, where you want me to go with this because I mean I have I some know. interesting thoughts. Yeah, well, do what else stands out to you about this? Are there any others, any other owners here who seem well suited or inclined in some way to be a a professional wrestling mogul? So Stan Kroenke and technically. Some of the sports teams are in his wife's name and Walton Kroenke. And if that name sounds familiar, that's because she's there still the Walmart fortune. Uh, but Stan and, and, and Walton Kroenke, uh, they own, not only did he make his money in real estate, a winery, as well as ranches, but uh, they own the LA Rams, the Denver Nuggets, the Colorado Avalanche, the Arsenal Football Club, three other like minor league sports teams, and then two esports teams as well. Um, if we're just looking at assets and, and somebody that just can throw his money around in different ventures, Stan Kroenke is probably number one on this list. So do they have a wrestling connection? Is some, Does someone in the, involved in this like wrestling or have a history with wrestling? Not not that I know of. And most of these people don't um, as far as just off the top of my head. Uh, you know, obviously Madison Square Garden sports management would, but you know, they have that relationship with WWE. They're not going to buy their own organization. Um, and I, 
other than that, I mean, looking at it here, um, I mean, Yankee Global Enterprises, which owns part of Yes Network, and we've talked about before, Sinclair owns a portion of Yes Network as well. Uh, but looking at all the wrestling connections, a lot of these guys, they're venture capitalists, they're private equity, but mm-hmm. not a lot of them have other sports backgrounds or wrestling backgrounds from my, from my understanding. Now I could be missing something. I mean, this was just mostly Wikipedia and all that. Uh, there's some interesting like ones that like Mark Lore and Alex Rodriguez just purchased the Minnesota Timberwolves that goes in effect in the baseball player, a rod. Yes. Yes. Uh, Mark Lore is an e-commerce guy, more of a modern hip guy. I mean, he obviously sees the future of the internet. Maybe he sees the streaming rights and knows that wrestling can get good streaming rights. Yeah. You know, I he, guess, he, I, he would be somebody. I guess, are there, other than who you've talked about, or maybe somebody you've already talked about, are there people here who are especially involved, more so than the others, with media distribution, whether that's traditional television distribution, cable and satellite, um, streaming? Yeah, we've talked Mark Cuban before. Uh Mark Cuban, uh, obviously, he's earned some of his money through broadcasting. Um, this, not immediate streaming rights, but I do want to bring this up. Steve Ballmer was one of the people that tried to purchase UFC. So maybe then former, he's the owner of the Clippers. Former, and his Microsoft, former Microsoft CEO. CEO. Yeah. Did you have him here as the as the Microsoft CEO before? I, I changed it, yeah. Because I, I was going to be like, what? I thought it was Satya Nadella. I forgot, Nadella. <laughs> my, my I forgot to put Ballmer on there. Um we know by uh, the last dance that Michael Jordan was really not a fan of professional wrestling, so probably wouldn't play really? there. What, what, did, what did he say about professional wrestling? He, he just was not ha- happy that Dennis Rodman was going to play in wrestler. Wow! Or the uh, yeah, he was he was not happy about that. He might like wrestling, but I've I've never seen any tie-ins with him in pro wrestling at all. Yeah, and I mean, um, I mean, ultimately, the thing here too is the pitch to me would would be far less about. Do you like wrestling? Do you want to have some fun in in the wacky pro wrestling world? It's do you like making money? Because there's a real pitch here that live sports is really valuable, and it's it's hard to find a valuable live sports franchise that is not well controlled. It's hard to to create one from the bottom up. In now, I I may be very biased here from my perspective here is because we're so into the wrestling business and I don't know other sports businesses very well at all. But I imagine you'd have a lot harder of a time building a sports franchise that's not wrestling from the bottom up. Vince and and Dwayne and and uh, Danny Garcia are going to try to do it, not that Daniel Garcia. Danny Garcia, the, uh, the entrepreneur who works with, with The Rock, are going to try to do it with the XFL. Maybe there's something there, maybe not. And, if, you know, football is the most popular sport in the United States. But it's really hard to build a sports franchise and a sports league up from scratch. I bet wrestling is the easiest project. Not that it would be easy, but but is far less challenging than others would be. Wrestling or MMA, probably. Um, uh, we were talking about media companies. The only other really media company I could really see here would be Liberty Media that owns the Braves. Mm-hmm. They also own Sirius XM Satellite Radio, as well as Formula One Racing. Yes. 
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code OLDLINE and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code OLDLINE and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. We have, we, have a, we have an assistant here for, for people who are watching on YouTube. He's, oh, he's, he's not, he's not cooperating. He's a number one Bills fan though. He's a, my dog is, he's freaking out. <laughs> he, he doesn't know when I'm going to leave and he's going to be abandoned. But anyway, any, any other thoughts on this? Uh, no, no, it was, it's just very interesting to see where a lot of money comes from and all that, uh, you know, cause I'm a big sports fan, but I never really looked into see where, you know, the money came from for a lot of these people and some of the things that I had no idea they're interested in esports too. Some of these guys own multiple esports teams and as they see the future of where that is in, I think Robert Kraft owns one. We talked Stan Kroenke owns two. I think I've listed on there a couple other owned by uh, um, NFL and NBA owners and and MLB owners. So esports is something that's trending like wrestling is. Yeah, it's one of those things that like I, I'm I'm now old enough that like I don't get it. People want to watch other people play sports games, essentially, and men they're very well maybe a great opportunity, and for many that may already be monetized to a great degree. But yeah, a weird thing to 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 an old person like me in the uh, P thirty five to forty nine demographic. One last media connection, but I don't think they would be in business or wrestling would be Rogers Communication. Uh, and they own the Blue Jays. But there are. Go ahead. Keep finish your thought. Well, they're a cable television company. All is internet and all that, and cell phones and all that. And a partner to a wrestling company already. Can you connect the dots that, here? Uh, would Would that be Anthem Sports? No, WWE. Oh, okay. Who's the, the Rogers? Is the the TV partner, the TV broadcaster? for WWE yeah. in, uh, in Canada um, for the network as well. That's how you, I understand, get the network in Canada is through Rogers. They've never done the, the direct-to-consumer thing like we have, or if, or, if, or if they do, you have to get it through Rogers first or something. I don't, I'm not sure. Um, Canadian listeners listing can surely explain it to us. Um, so that, that, that's it. Yeah, I mean, uh, if, I don't know if uh, we have any uh, follow-up questions on that. Um, MJ did say Liberty Media makes sense to him because you know they've re- re- recently relied success for him and Netflix. I had, uh, Netflix didn't even pop up that they had a stake in that. Um, 
Colin but, says, what about Master P? So here's the thing. House of Glory just came back the other night. But I'm, I'm I haven't sure, heard anything sure about Master, Master P, P owning it. Oh, really? I mean, you, Master P may have a lot of money compared to you and me. <laughs> but we're, we're talking about yes. some wealth on a different scale that would be needed to start a major wrestling company that has linear TV distribution. Yeah, Master P's net worth, well, that in 2013, it was $200 million. Not bad. So. Hootie who. Yeah. Yeah, not bad. Ed. Yeah, in 2021, still $200 million. Okay. I, th- I, I, I guess I'm thinking of uh, some somebody that's closer to a billion dollars or a lot more than a billion, than billion yes. dollars, like Shad Khan or Vizic Man or Mark Cuban do. Um, so Liberty do Media might be it, you know? What, what, what about Liberty Media? What is Liberty Media? So, as I said, they own Formula One Racing as well as Sirius XM Radio. MJ also agrees that with Liberty Media that they see with Formula One Racing how popular it's gotten. But also, he said something about Netflix, too, yes. as well as them being involved. We should yeah, talk about so. that. Do you know why Formula One has gotten so popular lately? I, I do not, know. Let's, uh, so, why don't you, while, I, while I pull up something on Google Trends, why don't you Google this? Drive okay. to survive. <laughs> it was the first article that pulled up on my on my search. <laughs> yes. What what is yeah, how Liberty survive? Media used Netflix and esports to win a new generation of fans and safeguard the future of Formula One. What 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 is Drive to Survive for the unacquainted? Let's see. Uh, um, Drive to Survive here. Okay, so Drive to Survive uh, for four years on indications Liberty's play Generation Y and Z. So. Drive to Survive is a Netflix series, an unscripted okay, series. Okay, see, I didn't know that. Um, I'm not watched that one. So you can I put the Google trend, the worldwide Google trend. There we go. Now I see it in the article. For, um, for Formula One on the screen. And for those who can't see it, who are listening on the podcast, basically it's it's – it's jumping around based on the seasonality here, of course, right? Ideally, I would want to download a CSV and put it in a pivot table and then do this by year. But it's sort of on the decline heading towards 2015 or so. And then it sort of gradually is growing back up. And it's really jumped up here since uh, in the last year or so. I imagine that's coinciding strongly with Drive to Survive on Netflix, um, which got over all these personalities, teams and drivers and whatnot. Uh, I haven't watched it myself, but I've listened to a podcast about it. Uh, it's a Netflix series, and and I I understand a lot of sports leagues are trying to emulate it. They want to emulate it. Uh, and you can think about this is similar to the way the Total Divas got certain people over for WWE, Nikki Bella and and Brie Bella and and others. Um, is Roads to the Top going to be that for Cody and Brandy? Not sure. Uh, did you watch much Roads to the Top? Just a little bit. I'm not, think I mean, I also don't watch the Miz and Misses and all that. I'm, I'm not are, a huge scripted television person. Unscripted. 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 Yeah, non-scripted. That's what I don't, meant. Yeah. Don't call it reality TV. Unscripted um, series. Yeah, it can't be reality TV. Yeah, unscripted series. I'm not a huge fan of that. Um, I'm pretty I'm, pr- I'm pretty boring with, with what I watch on television. So, long story short, this got a lot of personalities over, and it, it translated into... Uh, I understand I haven't looked into this myself, but I understand it's translated into better TV ratings and better attendance uh, for Formula One. So there's that. So yeah, MJ clear up. Yeah, so Liberty Media, no ownership in Netflix, but because of the Formula One documentary on Netflix, it is 
help them be successful. So yeah, Liberty Liberty Media. We'll 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 put it into the universe and see how that and see what happens. Yes. Moving on. And moving on. Um well back to current wrestling companies, AEW and Impact Wrestling. And you were pondered a question um from from a uh, WrestleNomics follower recently of what did the AEW relationship mean for Impact Wrestling? As it looks to all be done, uh, yes. what did it mean? Well, first of all, that this is a, a question uh, put to us by by one of our great listeners and supporters, patrons, uh, Chris. So uh, we're going to try to answer that today. Uh, that's the question. If if I go just by what people reply to me on Twitter with when I post the Impact ratings, uh, this has been a terrible relationship for impact aew uh has has killed impact because aew is terrible uh let's look at the the real numbers though so when did this relationship start chris Gullo, do you remember uh was it last year maybe 2020 december 2020 is when yeah i remember it being 2020 but not early yeah kenny omega on Winter is Coming, I believe, won the AEW title from John Moxley with help from Don Callis, who's associated with Impact. Uh, and then Kenny Omega appeared on Impact the following week in December. It popped a really big rating for Impact relative to what it usually does. So we could look at the months before December 2020 and then the months after. Um, so we'll look at total viewership first. Um, Looking at demos will be difficult for Impact because, um, I mean, looking at 1849 is kind of okay. A little volatile, but it's it's okay. Looking at any demos under that are going to be kind of nonsensical because the sample is so small. Because this, this is a program of smaller viewership. But anyway, in 2020, uh, let's let's look at the, the tail end of 2020. Y'all remember, eight, uh, Impact has only been on access since the very, very end of 2019. So we've only really got 2020 numbers uh, to look at before December 2020. And Impact is averaging in those months 180. This is in thousands. 180, 183, 154, 144, 153. We're getting into the pandemic here. 144, 153, 159. 144, 149. So they're, they're, they did really strongly at first before the pandemic pandemic hit, and they're, they're around 150,000 viewers. Going into October and November, though, they're, they're dropping down to 140, 130 on average. December comes with some Kenny Omega involved. Then they average 160, which was their highest monthly average since February. So December did really well for them. Add December in there, they're doing pretty well. January, 161, the same. Same average in January as December. February grows some more. And then it's back down to 138 for March, 141 for April, 120. And it's really started to crash now uh, through the spring and summer in, uh, 100, in the 110s, the low 100s. And now in October, and we're about halfway through November, it's averaging... Just under 100,000 viewers, averaging 98,000 in October, 99,000 in November. Um, so I would say, you know, based on this, AEW's involvement with Impact gave Impact a short-term benefit in their, in their viewership. Now, what, 
a cynic would say that, oh, well, if they didn't, if they were involved with AEW and they just focused on themselves and got their own talent over, they would be better off. They won't be have their viewership so low at this point. You could make that argument, I suppose. We don't really have uh, an alternative timeline to, to, you know, disprove that with. Um, but there's that. The demo, however, uh, responded even more strongly because I think when you have things that are what we would feel is sort of buzzworthy, the younger audience, I think, tends to show up more. We've seen that in a number of ways uh, where when, when, when NXT has higher viewership, it's and it, and it seems to be coinciding with something like turmoil in NXT developmental or the NXT 2.0 debut, uh, or even I, I, I don't have the numbers in front of me for this, but I bet if we look at the, uh, the increase for the Kenny Omega episodes, largely driven by younger viewers, or at least viewers within the demo, um, Meanwhile, viewers outside of the demo, the vast majority of which are 50 years old and o- over, they're they're just unmoved and un, you know maybe they're up a little bit but not that much. Anyway, December's average 54,000 viewers the first month of AEW involvement, 54,000 viewers in the demo. They were averaging in the 30s and 40s before that. Uh, in January, their first full month on Access, they did average 52. But that's still a little bit lower than what they averaged in January or in, De- in December. The following year's January, they averaged 58, uh, the highest at that point. In February, it was up even higher, 62,000 viewers on average. March, it was down to 48. April, back up to 62. So in, in these months, in the, in the first quarter uh, of 2021, Impact, compared to what they were doing the prior year, was doing really well. And in compared to the prior year, that was mostly before the pandemic. Um, so doing pretty well. Uh, and now in November so far, they've averaged an abysmal 24,000 viewers, which if, if that's how they finish is going to be their lowest average ever on access. Uh, and that's been with no AEW involvement. When's the last time, I guess like Christian was on impact, I guess would be. Um, that was, it was before Bound for Glory, and that was, Bound for Glory was the 24th, I believe. October, or 23rd, maybe. Um, October 23rd was Bound for Glory, so he would have been on October 21st uh, on uh, that, and I think that was it. The October 21st impact would have yeah. been the- Okay. So, I think... I you know I I would say from this AEW helps impacts viewership. There's there's definitely an increase in impacts viewership during at least the early part of its relationship with AEW. You could make the argument that in an alternate scenario, if if AEW did not get involved with Impact and have its talent appearing on the Impact Television show, that something else would have happened that would have been an even greater benefit, and maybe Impact's viewership would be better off now than it would be than it is otherwise. Uh, I I. I don't, I'm not convinced by that idea, but you can make that argument. Certainly. Um, I think, I think impact wrestling, uh, is sort of a mainstream product that doesn't appeal to a mainstream audience. And and that should probably focus its creative more on being a niche product for a hardcore fan that, that can create buzz and would, would ultimately drive better viewership for them. But I don't think that there's the management involved. that's going to make that happen. I, I think like a, like a lot of these companies like Ring of Honor, Impact, MLW, I don't know what the point of differentiation is, or it's not, there's, there's certainly something to their differentiation, but it's not strong enough. Um, and I don't see any of these companies breaking out that much 
uh, MLW has seemed to do a, a lot of media deals. It seems like Court Bauer gets meetings with uh, media distribution partners. Um, I'm not sure that the that the content is there to make the opportunity really worth going after. As we kind of saw, I'm 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 meandering off into talking about MLW here, but. As we kind of saw when they had their, their opportunity to be on Vice, uh, they didn't really outperform the normal viewership of what, what Vice usually does in that time slot when the ML, MLW Fightland special was on. Um, I think, you know, I don't, I don't, I'm sure there's deterrence in the way of making this happen, but I, but I think, you know, New Japan should buy MLW and, and get court power because that's what New Japan needs. It needs somebody who, who understands the U.S. television market, and the global television market, and can get meetings with media dist- distributors. MLW needs excellent content, which New Japan has. And th- those, those are two entities that seem like they have the strength where the other one has the weakness. And, uh, yeah, but I mean, that's a point. That's something that's probably not going to happen, though. All right. Will Ospreay is going to be on MLW soon, so... There's a bridge. There, there you go. Um, so, all right. Uh, we want to move on to our next topic here. Yeah, and that would be. There's been a lot of talk about how many talent are under contracts when it comes to WWE because of all of the releases that have been happening over the last twelve months or so. And then AEW. AEW has made a lot of signings. Uh, you know, at, over the last year or so. So mm-hmm. there's a big question, and Brandon, you kind of broke some numbers out of it. How much talent are actually under contract over this time period? So I'll, I'll, t- I'll tell you how this started. Um, I tried to uh, use Python to scrape the web archive instances of the Wikipedia pages for these rosters. I'm still struggling with that. Um, I think that would give us a pretty good measurement because I think whoever these people are who are managing the Wikipedia pages for the for the WWE roster or what, what, what they really call it is list of wwe personnel um there's there's versions for AEW and impact as well um they're just having some trouble scraping it in a really effective way uh and that would that would i think give us a good indication of what talent rosters are over time anyway in lieu of that we've got a couple other resources we can look at WWE discloses the number of talent it has under contract at least approximately it does the number of talent it has under contract in each of its annual reports and I'm showing that on the screen right now, where in the early 2000s, they're in the 160, 130 range in the mid 2000s. Yeah, they're even maybe in about the same, about 140, 130 range. And then here in 2015, oh, it grows a little bit up to 150. It se- they seem to be rounding to the nearest five or 10 here. Uh, in 2016, 185, they report. So it's growing quite a bit in that year. Then 2017 comes along. 200 remember the the performance center opened 2013 july uh and it, and it does start to grow after that right but okay we're still growing here 2018 215 and 2019 300 so in the course of 2015 to 2019 the number of talent this company had under contract doubled uh some you know five and a half years after the opening of the performance center so what am I saying? I'm saying that the performance center was not the only factor here. They were trying to keep talent away from potential competitors, not just AEW, but, you know, world of sport. By God, we had to open up an NXT UK and, an, and a UK performance yep. center because, God forbid, world of sport does anything. And, uh, and, uh, and bring about. I was going to mention that was 2018 was the NXT UK start. So what did I say? 
Uh, I, I don't think I don't think you said I don't think you said the year it started. It's January January eighteenth. expansion. Pretty sure it was January eighteenth. Anyway, um, so all that happened, and it and was at I don't know. Was it really worth it? It was at great expense. I mean, it was at some expense to WWE. WWE could afford it, though. Obviously, they're a very profitable company. Um, did it really negate and destroy some opportunities for potential competitors? Pro- I don't probably. Who knows what world of sport would be right now if if WWE hadn't sort of squashed it. <laughs> um, it, it, no. it did. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm at, 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 at the risk of talking about things that we talked about in, in greater depth probably last week, but um, the decision now, uh, by the way, 2020, they reported nearly, nearly 300. Uh, so there's that. And so n- what I did in, in lieu of uh, scraping the Wikipedia rosters, which I hope to do in the future, um, is I went through Cage Match and I said, okay, Cage Match, give me the list of all of the names that, and I'll explain what names means in a moment. Give me a list of, I, I went through the what's called the all-time roster in Cage Match for each company in each year. So an all-time roster in Cage Match is, here's a list of every wrestler or tag team or stable that had an appearance on an event in this company in this year. So this is not really the number of wrestlers who had a match. This is really the number of names that had a match, whether that's a wrestler, a tag team, or a stable. Take that for what it's worth. Uh, so I cut this off at, at you got to have five appearances. Obviously, there's tons of one-offs, especially in the case of AEW. You've got zillions of wrestlers who've had dark AEW dark matches. But anyway, uh, Pandemic obviously messes with this too because there's just fewer matches certainly in the case of WWE not running any house shows uh for more than a year but we do we, we see a similar pattern here right for WWE where they've got 153 of the of these names having an appearance at least five appearances in 2014 it gradually rises every year peaking in 2019 with 313 goes down from there and it's so far in 2021 through 10 and a half months here uh 254 so very much on par with last year maybe house shows there's some house shows now in this year that makes it weird and not very comparable uh but we you know we see aw skyrocketing here we've only got three data points for aw and the, and the 2019 data point isn't very informative because that's a company that didn't have a full year of, of functioning fully um but we're, we're, we're seeing and we're gonna see wwe change you know the number of talent has in our contract so here's a point that i can make that's not um repetitive of what we said before this is a really fascinating time in wrestling history because we are in what one might call an interregnum you know what interregnum means chris call google interregnum not off the top of my head google i will google google inter- <laughs> yes. interregnum and uh <laughs> it's, it's it's spelled roughly how it sounds google will figure it out uh <laughs> Uh, yes, an interregnum. It's a period when, well, they say normal government is suspended, especially between successive reigns or regimes, yes. or an interval or pause between two periods of office or other things. So we're in this fascinating, like that, yes, we're in this fascinating period of transition where WWE has warehoused and accumulated all of this talent over the last seven years or so, and and now they've decided that, hey, guess what? The reasons, the vision, the strategy that we had behind why we accumulate all that talent. Forget that. Triple H, go home. You're you're we're putting on a press release. You had a cardiac event. Go go chill out 
in 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 your in your your skull uh, adorned bed for a while. And and Vince has said, you know what? No, we're 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 gonna cycle back. The pendulum's gonna swing back. We're gonna do. Everybody's gotta be six foot three, two hundred sixty five pounds. Uh, the women have to be talent. Uh, have to be uh, sports fitness models or whatever. Um, but we're we're in the process of that revision being applied, and that's what we've seen. Again, I I think as I've said before, I think part of it too is new management, Nick Khan former CFO, now Christina Salen, Salen saying, all right, how, how can we cut costs to make this company more efficient, more profitable? That's part of it too, probably. But it's also Vince saying, for whatever reason, I, I don't like this talent you're giving me, Paul. We're going to, I want people who are like the kinds of superstars that I, that I want. And that's what he's doing. But there's all this, this incumbent talent here that no longer fits his proclivities. And then he's going to have to cycle through. Um, but the, the really fascinating part of it is that you can, you can look at this roster right now, still today, and be like, oh, this guy's contract's coming up reportedly. This guy's contract's coming up reportedly. You can see how Vince isn't going to get him or her. Oh, you can see how these wrestlers would fit into someplace else, like AEW or maybe elsewhere. And uh, it's, it's a, it's, it's sort of a, I don't know, to use another presidential uh, term, it's sort of a lame duck period where we're like, we're just waiting. We're waiting for Kevin Steen's contract to go up. We're waiting for Johnny Gargano's contract to go up. We're waiting for Kyle O'Reilly's contract to go up. Um, it's fascinating. We'll see how it all plays out. But it, it seems to be going in a direction of WWE and Vince for as long as he's going to be alive and be uh, in charge of the creative of this company is going to remorph the talent into being more, more favorable to his instincts than ever. I think he's going to, he wants people who don't have wrestling experience. And I wonder if let's, if, if Vince were to live for 20 more years, hopefully he does. If yeah, I remember triple H saying in some documentary, no, Vince is going to live forever. Or maybe it was that interview that he did with um, Mick Foley or something. He, Vince is going to live forever. So Vince lives for another, at least 20 years. I, I mean, I see W being a company that has almost entirely wrestlers who never wrestled before they set foot in the performance center and WWE doors um, so that they can really be, so they can really comfort Vince's insecurities of being the creator, the one who gets the credit for making them into superstars because there's, there's some insecurities there and you know, you know what Vince Hulk Hogan was a star before you got him. I'm not sure. I think Vern. I think I think Vern made Hulk. I'm not sure. Brett. I don't know. Stu had him too. You know. Um, Sean. You know. Sean, Sean worked for Vern too. I don't know. Would Would he have been that big of a star if not for Vern Vince? I'm not sure. Um, and so forth. Anyway, you you have something to add? I think. Yeah. So, and one of the things I think we're going to see now, you know, with. Vince McMahon's vision of NXT and just being fully and creative is you're going to see NXT talents, I think on the main roster a lot quicker and we've already seen it. I don't even know if you know this, but Von Wagner is already on SmackDown. It was he on TV. Yes. He a dark match. He's on TV. Oh. He was on television. He didn't wrestle a match, but he was with Adam Pierce and all that. And they're leading into him being an active talent. So yes, Von Wagner who debuted in, on NXT in September 
is now on the main roster in November. Yeah, but 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 he's tall, right? Oh, he's tall. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Thing you don't understand, Chris Gullo. This is a media company. This isn't some wrestling organization. Okay. <laughs> this is a Marvel-like IP factory, and Vince has a track record of creating this, this these kinds of, of stars, and he knows how, how to make this happen. Uh, and and they have to be tall. You know, some of these things make sense. Young talent, yeah, that makes sense. Uh, it's 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 sort of you know it's directionally correct uh, in some ways. There's been an overfocus. Second generation talent, but don't average. acknowledge they're, where they're from. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it, it's sort of the sin of every booker is that they book a product that is the product that they would like, not distinguishing what the market really wants, or you know, sort of projecting their own taste on the market. That's cl- clearly what Vince is doing, and you know, sort of as, as we get older, we become more and more of ourselves. And that, that, I think that's definitely what Vince is doing as he's becoming older. He's becoming, you could say the cliche set in, set in his ways, but like, as you, as you get older, you get more and more sure of what you like and more and more sure of what you want to do generally. And I think that's definitely what's happening here. And there's definitely some insecurities that are being taken care of for him in terms of not wanting other people to be able to say that he didn't create talent. He didn't create stars. The credit has to go to him and um, creating the kind of product that he enjoys. Whether or not a, a, a large audience likes it, maybe, maybe not. But the media rights fees are so good. And the company is, the, the product is still popular enough um, that, that the financial situation obscures any, any real economic incentive. Um, by the way, one more point here before I, as, as, as I, you know, ramble on and on here. When we've talked about how I always forget to, to emphasize this. When we've talked about how W's popularity has declined over the last several years from about 2016 forward. Um, and we talk about how you can see that, uh, in terms of live attendance, you can see that in terms of the, the under indexing of raw TV ratings, you can see that in terms of the annual trends in merchandise sales, including e-commerce sales, you can see that in terms of the Google web search trends. Now, why has that happened? Why has that happened? Uh, I mean, I would, I would say the, oh, I would just say social media buzz. You know, I, I, I think there's all these little factors. Yes, the product is bad. Yes, but perhaps the biggest factor of all. I don't know if it's the majority factor, but maybe I would say maybe this is the biggest factor of all. You had you created a top star. Uh, he was the biggest star in your company for many years and poof, he's gone. John Cena is gone. And you haven't, you've got Roman Reigns. Roman Reigns is a big star too, but he's not as big as John Cena was. And John Cena is just gone. And he was faded out. He was, he was, you know, sort of phased out so gradually that you almost don't notice. And I forget most of the time, but uh, it's a, it's a point that I should remember to make more often is that John Cena is gone. John Cena is one of the biggest stars in wrestling history. One of the biggest draws. Who's a draw? John Cena is a draw. Anyway, moving on. All right. Yeah, we're going to move on here to Fast Nationals. Uh, Andrew Zarian reported that AEW Rampage and the P2 Plus was around 480,000, down 20% for the week before. And uh, the 18 to 49 was 232,000, which was down 21% uh, from the week before. Where SmackDown, this must have been the Von Wagner uh, uh, treatment here, uh, (laughs) up to uh, 1.99 million in the P2 Plus, which is 1%. 
And then 1849 was 655,001%. It also was first place in 18 to 49 mm. overall on Friday night. It's my, my, it's my favorite game. This is Fast Nationals. It's my new favorite game. All right. So what, what does any of this mean? Uh, we will find out the finals on Monday afternoon. So I don't know when you're listening to this, but Monday afternoon, about 4 p.m. Eastern, we'll find out what the finals are. That's a pretty low number for Rampage. Is it the lowest ever? No, it's not quite. Uh, the lowest number for Rampage. Uh, so, by the way, okay, so what do I expect for finals? I expect uh, about 2.12 million viewers for SmackDown, about a 0.57 P1849 rating. These are both very normal numbers for SmackDown. SmackDown last week, the week before this number, was the lowest in months, at least in total viewership. It was the lowest since August. Uh, demo was normal, though. Um, <clears throat> old people tuned out for some reason, I guess. Anyway, Rampage. <laughs> uh, looking like it's going to end up being about 510,000 viewers and a .19 demo rating. Uh, is is that that's pretty low for Rampage? Uh, a, a, a show that's had how many episodes now? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen. This is the fourteenth episode of Rampage. So now we're starting to get a history here. We we should be at the point where where we we know what the normal level is here. So this would be the second lowest in total viewership, probably. And is that the lowest in the demo? No, this will be higher. The 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 October eighth episode did five hundred two thousand viewers and uh, two hundred twenty five in the demo. Uh, this this looks like it will be a little bit higher than that. But other than that, this looks like it will be the second least watched rampage in the history of the program so far. All right. Anything else to add on that? No, no. We've been talking for a long right. time here. We got to talk about New Japan real quick. <laughs> yes. Yeah. We're going to move on to uh, Bushi Road. Uh, the owners of New Japan Pro Wrestling and Stardom. Yes. And yeah, you have some business numbers to go over yeah. with us. Okay, so so in in under the yellow where it says sports, just read that real quick. All right. <laughs> uh yeah, I, I uh oh here we go. I mean I'm looking at I just see Japanese. <laughs> Shinihon Pro Wrestling. Tokyo Domu. Um so I, I I put this through Google Translate and of course it's it's turned into something that resembles english and so i will try to put this into plain actual english so this is from bushiro just had its uh quarterly report uh bushiro is a is a big company new japan and stardom are a small percentage of it about 14 percent in terms of revenue so the note that they have here on one slide says new japan pro wrestling uh i, I I'm, I'm gonna edit this new japan pro wrestling is going to the tokyo dome to do some sort of large scale ticket sales at the metlife tokyo dome uh however the extension of the state of emergency is going to restrict attendance uh merchandise sales have been sluggish in this quarter but video distribution through new japan world and the app game the mobile game that new japan has uh, has been strong stardom is gradually increasing the number of events uh going to venues of various sizes and there's a little bit more but i don't understand what that that's trying to say so uh merchandise sales for for new japan sounds like haven't been great but new japan world subs it sounds like are holding up uh new japan's mobile game doing all right as well uh stardom's increasing the number of events that it's doing we could verify that with cage cage match if we wanted to um revenue in the sports division which could 
which consists almost entirely of New Japan and Stardom. There's also a health and fitness company that's a part of this division too, I think. But anyway, uh, this quarter, quarter two, which is July to September. So this is partially the G1, not completely the G1. About $10.3 million in revenue when we convert that from Japanese yen. $10.3 million. That's down from about 11 even. $11 million even in the Q1 of the prior year, which, buckle your seatbelts for this, was a different fiscal calendar. So that's August to October, which is the entirety of the 2020 G1. So that quarter at an advantage encompassing the entire G1. This Q1 encompassing only part of the Q of the G1. Uh, so revenue down, but it, it's it's at a disadvantage not having the entire G1 to, to count in it. And ticket sales are still the, a, about the majority of New Japan's business. Japan's still a still a live event business in its wrestling industry. That that's that's all. Uh, we have a slide here where Bushi Road highlights to, uh, almost said Toshiaki Okada, Kazuchika Okada and Shingo Takagi staring each other down with their respective IWGP title belts over their shoulders and uh, and a photo of of Okada posing with the G1 trophy and confetti. There's also a uh, a shot here of uh, Stardom going to the Budokan. That brings us to the end of this WrestleNomics journey for this week. Plus, it was jam-packed for sure. Yes, yes. Hopefully the audio is much better this week. Again, we we uh, fired and um, yelled at. We we sternly fired our, our audio engineer uh, who was working with us last week. Um, got a great deal of help from Phil Chertok, uh, both uh, helping me out with the video and uh, the audio. So big thanks to to Phil Chertok from the Post Wrestling family for helping me out this week. Got some plugs, Go. What's going on? Yeah, so um, you can find me specifically, Chris Gullo, at Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Stay tuned for my calendar. Uh, trying to finish the year with some comedy dates. So, hey, if you want to have a stand-up comedy show and you're anywhere in the Northeast, I'll come on down. Um, but uh, also, uh, my other podcast, Rediscovering Indies, RTI Pod on Twitter, as well as Rediscovering Indies on Instagram and Facebook. Uh, if you haven't, check out all our NWA series, but we just did a part three a couple weeks ago. Uh, and that was breaking down the uh, business and the relationship between Bruce Starps, NWA and new Japan pro wrestling. Interesting time for new Japan pro wrestling during that relationship in 2014 and 2015. Uh, so we talk about that and uh, yeah, well, part four will be coming out here in November. So, and uh, so everyone who has come from WrestleNomics to listen to us, we really thank you for your support. Did you, did you get a big WrestleNomics bump? You got a lot of wrestling. I would say we did. Yeah. Over. Numbers did get higher since I started joining here. Right? All right. We'll we'll send you an invoice for that. No self dealing. <laughs> okay. okay. Um. Would you do a, a glow seg? Would glow be in the independent wrestling? I mean, a, well, so we've tried to say national television isn't. We've made some What's national television. I would say national television, national cable television. I mean, I guess yeah. or syndication. Yeah. Like okay. that. Um, I, I glow could be in a future time. Yeah. Uh, but I know what, a lot what of people you, want to hear us talk about like heroes of wrestling and oh, grandmasters of wrestling and all Grand, that. I've never heard of that. What, what, what are your future topics? Oh, you don't know grandmasters of wrestling? No, I don't. What are your future topics? Can you reveal those? Oh, uh, 
we we have not settled on Are what you under an we're going to do in December going forward, but we have discussed uh, a biography piece on Reckless Youth. I think that people would be really interested on that. Mm-hmm. Um, we've uh, we've discussed you know uh, stuff like Grandmasters of Wrestling and and the Heroes of Wrestling pay per view and uh, you know some deep dives on other independent wrestling companies mm-hmm. uh, that like you know, are maybe not what they used to be or gone and all that. So we haven't really settled down what our 2022 is going to look like topic wise as we've most of 2020, the next BW or 2021 is supposed to be XBW and NWA. So. Okay. Okay. Do you have any topic ideas? Let me know. <laughs> yeah. I guess like, would you do, have you done King of the Indies already? APW, SoCal Indies. We, um, we've done APW cause we did a Roland Alexander episode hmm. and that was very, very good. That was one of my favorites. Okay. Um, yeah. Um, I I guess I I think in indie wrestling as we know it today, and even like semantically, I don't know if maybe I'm sure they were right, but like indie wrestling as we know it today, in my view, I guess semantically too, started in 2001. It's it's a different world before then and after then. I think. And we we consider the start off the end of the territories. Okay. So the early nineties, I mean, like at least in, in terms of the terminology, again, like there's, there's the outlaw, yeah. there's the out, outlaw gets used. And then somewhere in the nineties, it, it changes to indie independent. Uh, anyway. Yeah. Anyway, well, it's fascinating. You know? Yeah. Yeah. But no, go ahead. Anyway, you can s- subscribe uh, to our YouTube channel. If you're watching on YouTube right now, if you're listening on the podcast, you can watch a video version of this on the WrestleNomics YouTube channel. Uh, you can hit like, please subscribe. If you think this is a good program, share it with people that you like. Tell people about the podcast. That goes a long way. Give us a nice review on iTunes. I, I, I've, uh, since this transition, I, I'm seeing more of the analytics, and I, this is a fascinating stuff for me, and I understand reviews help, so please give us a nice review if you like the show. Uh, we have a Patreon, patreon.com slash WrestleNomics, where for just $5 a month, you can get my written TV ratings reports that come out nearly every weekday, the most in-depth analysis that there is online for the wrestling ratings world. Uh, you also get access to my data. You get access to the WrestleNomics viewership spreadsheet. I keep it up to date. I'm in it literally, literally every day. Literally every day. Uh, lots of really smart people, including people who work in the wrestling business subscribe you can follow me on twitter at brandon thurston and at wrestleomics i'm brandon thurston i'm chris gull he's chris gull we'll talk to you next time great success 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 great success 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 means great profit great 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 profit. Great. Great. Great profit. Profit. Mediocre success still means profit. Good afternoon, everyone. Still means. Still means. Profit. Still means. Still means. Good afternoon, everyone. Profit. Profit.
At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.